Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School, so listen, learn, enjoy and share. Welcome to another episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. Sarah Walker-Smith was the first woman non-lawyer to be appointed CEO of one of Britain's top 50 lawyer firms. She is Chief Executive of Shakespeare Martineau, a business with 900 staff and a turnover of £70 million a year. Her current aim is to double that turnover in the next two years through mergers and acquisitions and an innovative house of brands strategy that is creating headlines in her industry. Sarah originally trained as a chartered accountant, but her first directorship was in marketing at a law firm. She's also written a musical. Sarah Walker-Smith, welcome to the Business Leaders Podcast. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Especially, I should say, as a double alumni of uh, Nottingham Trent University as well. So, um, yeah, taught me everything I know. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you for that. (laughs) But I must ask you about that musical because um, I think everybody will be sitting thinking, right, where did you find the time for that? Um, Well, so I I wrote and produced and directed a musical five years ago. I've actually got two more on the go at the moment and I've written more in the last year than than I ever have. So it's, it's a funny thing about time. Um, there's an adage, isn't there, about ask a, if you want something doing, ask a busy person. I do think that when you are busy and you're juggling lots of things, you find methods of of multitasking or um, or just you know using your time really effectively. So I think I'm probably rubbish at sitting down and just watching the TV. That would strike me as not <laughs> efficient. So I will be watching the TV, uh, writing a song. You know, I am busy. I do work very hard. I work a very, very long week. But I feel that if I don't find time to do something like this, I'm less effective at my job. So I actually think it's essential as a leader to find time to do creative things or or something that give you your mojo back and keep that energy because you need a a huge amount of energy for your for your leadership and your business. And you've got to get some inputs. You you need to keep inputting something to be able to give the outputs. So for me, music and musical theatre and writing is is how I balance things out. So, so back with that day job, you're, you're, you're achieving quite a reputation in, in the legal industry um, as both innovator and disruptor. Um, yeah. Your house of brands strategy is generating big headlines. What are you, what are you trying to do? So I, I was lucky enough as, as part of my leadership or a business journey to, to work as an accountant. So I, I kind of got that understanding of finance. But then I spent eight years at Boots the Chemist where they t- took me from being a finance person and churned me out as a marketing director, as you said earlier. So in that eight years at Boots, I worked alongside some amazing marketeers and category managers and business strategists. And I also did an MBA at Trent at the time as well. And I really started to look at well I I understood an awful lot about marketing through that law firms have tried very often to be everything to everybody for all sorts of historic reasons and it struck me that we don't look at the market the way that other consumer facing businesses or indeed other fantastic new innovative b2b businesses would look at a market which is to segment your market base and to really make sure that your brands are relevant and what happens with 
local brands, they end up being really diluted because you're trying to be everything to everybody. So not only do I love portfolio theory, and I'm a bit of a geek economist as well, so I could see the benefits of having lots of different businesses in a group, and actually by having lots of different legal businesses and other professional services business as separate brands, but united with the buying infrastructure and the all the fantastic support people that you have to have behind the scenes in a law firm, we have the best of both worlds. So we can create legal brands that are really pertinent and relevant and laser sharp in particular markets, including more traditional brands, more online brands, more disruptor brands. And at the same time, we can actually, um, you know, still keep the benefits of being a really large group. So it's a, a mechanism for bringing the best of what I think the business world does really, really well into the legal sector and having our cake and eating it, really. You're a very high profile leader. How, how important do you think it is to, to lead from the front, as it were? My attitude on this has changed quite a lot, actually, since the pandemic started. I used to I used to lead another law firm in a very behind the scenes kind of way. And I used to feel very, very much that I wasn't a lawyer. I needed to kind of step back a little bit. And, and uh, you know, I'm not your average, <laughs> definitely not your average chief exec in terms of perhaps my background um, and various other things as well. And certainly in terms of how I speak and how I look sometimes and, and various other things. Um, and I what the pandemic's taught me is you have to just be yourself. I mean, I've been singing on LinkedIn and to the business. I'm sure we'll come back to some of that because that's who I am. Singing, singing. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't yeah. know, I, didn't, I, I must have missed that one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, myself and the senior partner put a Christmas single out on LinkedIn. <laughs> right. <laughs> we didn't say when I think about it, but it was done very sincerely because, sure. because actually that was an authentic representation of who I am. And my heart was aching literally for the world and for everybody in our business. And at the time when I first did a song to the business, which somebody Somebody asked me to do it and I said, you've got to be kidding. And then I thought, well, actually, why not? And um, about May last year, I recorded a version of on my own from Les Mis. I appreciate how terrible this sounds now that I'm saying it. And uh, the response was unbelievable. I had 200 emails from the business within five minutes saying, you've just made me cry. And we, we're so in this together, aren't we? We're all, our hearts are breaking in the middle of this pandemic. And, and it was it was the best way I could say to people, we're, we're all going through some some terrible stuff quite frankly so so I do think you have to lead from the front I do think you have to be yourself which is an massively important part of our culture in the business and I found myself because I was doing this without any effort I mean honestly I've had no no PR help or anybody else managing my social media for me um, I went from during the pandemic I had about a thousand connections and followers on LinkedIn. I've got 8,000 today. So in the space of a year, I've added 7,000 without pushing it at all or trying to do that. And for the last year, I've been consistently outperforming every other leader in the legal sector, including the leaders of some massive, massive global law firms by four or fivefold, I think it is. So I have five times more engagement than any other law firm leader in this country. Um, and all I've done, Mike, is be myself. <laughs> that's just, yeah. that's all I've done. I've written a few articles. I've made a couple of videos. I sang a song. I just, I'm just very open. So the, the pandemic taught me that I think people want leaders who are just being authentic and we know what they stand for. And, and I think it matters. I think it matters enormously. That's, that's really interesting. You know, I, I, you know, and by the way, I 
apply to do any of that. That's the other thing was this was not a plan. It, it sure. wasn't yeah. a strategy. And like I say, I didn't have I don't have a PR team behind me pushing that or anything. It was just something that happened because because I was willing to to get out there and lead. I mean, that is that that's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people are, are sort of suggesting the opposite, aren't they? They're suggesting, look, that's a two edged sword. Being mm. out there on social media can bring as many problems as it can, as it benefits. But you, you, you're always you've always been very open and candid. I, I mean, I've read many interviews with you online. You've talked about leaving home at 18, wanting to be an actress, ending up as an accountant, being made redundant while you're on return maternity leave. Um, and yeah. how does how does that transparency fit into your leadership I mean are there any drawbacks oh gosh well you know I I mean I wait every day for you know the kickback the trolls the problems um I've been very lucky and I think people are very kind so I I I feel hugely supported both internally and externally but I know that like anybody who sticks their head above the parapet it's only a matter of time till you know till that comes and, and I think you have to have a really thick skin to it but I have to say, and I'm, I'm tempting fate by saying this at the moment, I, I haven't, it hasn't been an issue. Um, I believe so strongly, so, so strongly that business leaders have to now bridge the gap between politics, media, society, business, the public sector, the third sector. I, I think there is a vacuum to be filled. I'm, I'm on the West, West Mid CBI Council, and I know that's the stance of the CBI as well, that business needs to step up. I mean, somebody's got a leaders out of all of this, and we have the benefit of not being as restrained as politicians are. I, I partly get why they're restrained, but it frustrates the heck out of me as well. So, so I think business leaders really do need to step up. And I think increasingly now, particularly in a post-pandemic world, employees and stakeholders and clients want to know who they're dealing with um you know and we can be respectful um we can disagree constructively but but i'm not going to be restrained by what you're supposed to say or what you're not supposed to say as a leader because i'm also a human being and i think i think people want to see human leaders um so yeah i'm sure at some point it's going to get me into trouble um and i'm very very open and candid and honest with people in the business i mean at the start of the pandemic I, I made I started making videos. I'm I've been working in my shed for the last year and I was self-isolating for the first few months. And um I, I just started making videos and talking to the business because I, I just felt I had to connect with them somehow. And actually making videos was so much more effective than doing emails because I could talk to them on a human level and they needed that. And it, it made a huge difference um to, to how I was and how I connected with them and how they connected to me. And I I really think it shifted me permanently and it shifted how how I think leadership can develop permanently. If, if we well, take, try and take the good things out of this pandemic, I do think it's given leaders an opportunity to to evolve our art. And and, and our our leaders, in your in your experience, grasping that you say that people want more human more human leaders, and you're you're trying to give them that. Are your colleagues doing so as well? Are you seeing it around you? Yeah, I am actually. I mean, certainly with my guys, because I've got. I've just got the best team in the universe, but um, I know I'm biased, I have to say, but, um, uh, you know, they they are absolutely doing that. And I think we've all found that we've done it. And, um, you know, some of the some of the people in the business that never thought they could connect like that are seeing the benefits of it. And it's it's quite phenomenal. And, 
you know, I do feel that there's a giant game of musical chairs going on at the moment, particularly in the legal sector. Um, you know, there are more traditional law firms and there will be people out there, including some of the people that have been on our journey with us, who are more happy in those firms. And equally, there are people in traditional law firms that want to be in a business that's doing what we're doing. And I and we're seeing a lot of movement. We're, we're getting a huge amount of people come to join us at the moment. And part of that is because we have been so open and honest and transparent with our people all the way through this journey. So I was making weekly updates, telling everybody in the firm how we were doing. And I said to them, if things get really bad, I don't want to do this. But if things get really bad, we may all need to take a pay cut. And I'm going to update you every week how that's going. But I want you to plan for the worst now. And I hope to God we never have to do it. And um, that How was. How did that a... end up? How did that? Did you end up having to do that or not? No, we didn't. We didn't. We got through it. But I don't doubt we got through it because then everybody pulled together and said they really respected that openness and honesty, and they wanted to do their best. And we took a big hit at the top. So, um, you know, myself and the fellow equity partners said we're going to take the force of this. We're going to take the hit, and we did. Um, but we said if it goes beyond a certain level, <laughs> we're going to have to come back to you guys. And I don't want to do that. And I need your help. Um, and did you and give them figures? Did you did you did you did you lay it all down there? Was it was it all out in the open? Um, yeah. I mean, you've got nine hundred staff, so that's that, yeah. that's 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 a lot of people to share to share that kind of information. Yeah, but what's the worst that could happen? I mean, you know, it, it could end up on the front page of the Telegraph, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess, but then what's the worst that could happen? Do you know what I mean? I, what would that what would that matter? You know, so um, I yeah. Chief executive is open and honest with staff. I'm not sure that's a headline, okay. you know, and, you know, the, what, the, well, no, I get, I get it. But what, what I'm thinking of is that you're being uh, you, you were talking about. You said that the equity partners would take uh, the hit. OK, so somewhere along the line, there'd have to be some quantification of that, I guess. And then yeah. you said, but look, if it goes past a certain level and then mm -hmm. I guess you have to be explicit about that level, um, then, then then you'd have to come back yeah. asking people. And so these these are these are commercially sensitive things, I guess. Traditionally, I guess, but then you've got to say to yourself, but why? And what's the worst that could happen with that? So, no, I wasn't, you know, giving 900 people, you know, detailed PL accounts, but I was giving them big, high level numbers that hopefully they could understand. And what I'd be saying to them is, this is the number we need to hit this month, and we're going to take X percent hit at the top. If it goes above that percent, you know, if we don't hit this number, that's when I need to come back and we need to start doing things. So one of the things I learned, having been an accountant and then having been, if you like, converted into a, a marketeer and a strategist and a communicator, I suppose, I, I learned that, you know, it's really important to be open and transparent, but you've got to keep your numbers simple and you need to keep the message consistent. And I, I guess I use analogy quite a lot as well. So what I said to them is, I want to make this a glider for us. So no knee-jerk reactions. One minute we're in lockdown, then we're not in lockdown down one minute we're taking pay cuts then we're paying everybody bonuses our approach has been to try and give people as much certainty as we could and i think as a leader that's the best we could have done over the last year is to try and create bubbles of certainty for people to help them plan and to put them in control because we know that people's well-being and their mental health is massively connected to how much in control you feel of your own situation so what I was trying to do was give people as much simple information as we could to put them in control and to stop this knee jerk reaction. So we set out our stall at the beginning and we stuck with it right the way through. And we but we told people what we'd have to do differently if that didn't work. Um, and thank God it worked. I mean, you know, we were very lucky, but it helps that you've got an amazing bunch of people who were all pulling in the same direction. And you talked there about 
that you talk there about great line, the bubbles of certainty, um, because mm -hmm. uncertainty is, of course, the 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 big thing, the big the big yeah. the biggest issue in most businesses. How how yes. easy has it been to create those bubbles? <laughs> I guess it's it's around scenario planning, obviously, which you'd expect every good business is doing. But on day one, it's funny. I've still got it stuck on my wall. You can't see it because I'm I'm in my shed. Uh, and sorry if you can hear all the the neighbours have decided to all go out and cut their hedges today, which is very handy. Um, <laughs> But one of the things I've stuck on the wall of my shed, which is where I work, is the diagram that myself and my main board, we drew a little diagram on day one or week one of the pandemic. And we came up with two principles, which we said in it together, in it for the long term. And we said everything we do is going to be around this is going to be linked to that. And we drew this little picture of keeping the lights on, which was the urgent stuff we needed to do, doing the right thing, which was around the certainty over the numbers and really scenario planning and understanding the numbers. And then the other one was looking for the silver linings. And so what we did was we we set teams up to really try and take control of the opportunities. So we created as much bubbles of certainty around opportunity and investment as we could. And we, we were very honest with people that we were going to keep investing. This was not about suddenly ripping the cost out of the business. We, we were going to find a way to keep investing because we felt that that was hugely important and I think again as business leaders we have to create some of our own confidence as well and and the collective confidence we create can have an impact on markets so if we all talk ourselves down into doom and gloom then then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so we created some certainty around investment and the plans and said these are our plans and we're going to keep going because you know, the world will come out of this and we need to be in the right place to do it. And we created certainty around offices and ways of working. And we're very clear with people that we were going to work from home. And very quickly, early on, we said, we're not even going to attempt to ever go back to anything close to what we did before. We're going to use this to drive change. And you can work where you want to work, when you want to work, how you want to work. And that's going to be our new model of operating. So that candid, where you want to work, how you want to work, when you want to work. Clearly, this is a balance here. This is a contract of trust. You've got to be contactable when you're working. You need to look after your clients. You need to still feel connected and part of your team and you need to hit your numbers. You can do all of that. You make business and life work for you. And we're all individuals. So you've all got a different way of doing that. You make it work. Presumably there are still things that keep you awake at night. It's because it's a high pressure environment, no matter how we're just dressed up. It is. I mean, there definitely is. I mean, there was a point last year where our work, I mean, well, two things. We didn't have the ability to work remotely when this started um, because we were a bit behind the curve with investment in IT and we were doing lots of investment in IT, but it hadn't landed. So, for example, we were still people working with desktops. So suddenly we had to get an entire organisation working remotely and we had the foresight, thank God, to buy the laptops a month before lockdown. Literally, it was the end of February. And wow. um, thank God, because um, if we would left it a couple of weeks, we wouldn't have got the laptops. So we managed to get these laptops, um, roll them out. So that was the first problem was, can we genuinely keep this business running? So that was really disruptive. And then we do a lot of transactional work. We're a very diverse business, but most of the transactions stopped overnight, whether that was house builders transactions, corporate transactions, uh, the courts closed. We couldn't get some of our family and other matters through the courts. Everything ran to a standstill. Right, 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 right. So we had about three months where it looked pretty grim.
we developed very quickly a couple of lead indicators that told us did we know things were going to come back online and when they would come back online and how much that lag would take and the finance team were phenomenal they 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 modeled it and they called it absolutely we saw we saw a graph and we knew what it was going to do on the way down and what, what we needed to see coming back up again and that gave me confidence that we were tracking and we knew what the dim was going to be in the numbers, probably about four and a half, five million pounds dim that we took in that very short period. And we knew that if it was coming back out again, we knew how we could balance that out and what we were going to do about that four and a half, five million pounds. And thank God it tracked. One final question, which is the one I always ask at the end and which always gives a fascinating answer. And I think everybody waits for it. You've talked incredibly candidly thank you about about your business and what you've been doing and your leadership and your leadership style so what advice would you give to the next generation of leaders maybe the maybe the graduates coming out of NTU out of the Nottingham Business School this year first of all make it your own I suppose really and sorry for sounding like Simon Carroll on a, a you know a singing competition <laughs> you know don't just look at leaders uh, like me or other leaders around you we are of our generation the world is changing at a very, very rapid pace. So find your own way, have the confidence to be yourself and to not look at other people and think, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do it. Your instincts, nine times out of 10, our instincts are right. And you will be so much more, well, firstly, a better leader, but so much happier as a leader if you do it the way you want to do it. And if you get that right, people will follow you. But to get people to follow you, you've got to follow them. So absolutely tune in to people and develop that sense of empathy, develop your ability to connect with lots of different working generations. I mean, we're going to have five working generations from the baby boomers who are still still working through to the Generation Alphas soon, which is utterly terrifying if you think about Generation Alphas. So you're going to have to communicate with people in many ways on many levels get to tune in to people, meet them where they're at, find out about them, and it will pay back in absolute spades. Better and happier. That's absolutely fantastic. Thanks very, very much, Sarah Walker-Smith, for being our guest here on the NBS Business Leaders Podcast. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with sports marketing guru Charlotte Cox, the former banking executive Robin Fole, and the Army's chief medic Peter Homer. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.